Hey everyone, this is Augustus Cho. Welcome to part two of our previous episode. You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast on the Nana Music Network. Somehow you ended up in Korea. Ended up in Korea. Is that around that time? 70% of my OCS class was wounded or killed. Yes. Okay. That means that you're a brand new officer. You're on the ground out there in the middle of nowhere. And there's hell breaking loose. And there's artillery for you to call and B-52s. And if you make a mistake, so who do you think the enemy kills first? They kill you guys with the radio. You're the officer of the radio and you're the radio... Backpack, you're the guy that carries the radio, you die too. Yeah. yeah, and so now we got no officers left in Vietnam. So I'm in the artillery, and uh, so they say, Well, you know, let's just say this, this guy, let's just send him to uh, Korea where there are no officers. And so I wound up as a first lieutenant, soon to be captain, and I'm a headquarters battery commander with some 500 soldiers. And I'm on one hill, and there's a hill over there, and in that hill is a bunker, and it's full of nuclear warhead Honest John missiles. In Korea? In Korea. <clears throat> Which, this was by DMZ area? Eh, I'm going to say a mile or two. Okay, so that is known as Area 1 today. I, uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, my soldiers were the ones that were on the DMZ. My soldiers were the ones that were working in the various officers' offices. My soldiers were the, uh, the medics. Mm-hmm. As when you have a headquarters company, that, it's the people that, that work for everybody else at the mm-hmm. headquarters. Mm-hmm. So you're the, you're the head mechanic shop for the... So you have battalions out there that have cannons. And, uh, and, it's, and depending on what kind of a unit you are, you might have some tanks. But anyway, we had mostly cannons. And we were assigned to the 2nd Division, Artil- uh, Division Army. Mm-hmm. And we were the artillery support for the army ground pounders, and boom, 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 you clean the mess up before you get there with the soldiers. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that was probably a, a gift in my life. I could probably talk for a year on that. Why do you consider a gift in your life to be assigned to Korea? One, what we were doing in Korea then, and what we're doing in Korea now, is justified. Mm-hmm. And honorable. Two, we're dealing with a backward country that's been abused and enslaved for a bulk of their history by other countries. And these people are such a wonderful, hard-working, wonderful people. And all they have is rice and rocks. And and they carve out an existence and they don't complain and they and they and they and they work. Well, along, along the way, because I had so much authority and had so much power. And you were a major then? No, <clears throat> I, was, I had just made captain. Okay. So I, I had so much power that because I was a combat unit, in those days they used punch cards. Mm-hmm. And, and you had the military and the civilians that ran anything that was surplus in the country. And so I would take my punch card and fill it out and say, I want that, that, and that, and that. So I would bring in, I would send 18-wheelers after it. I've always been a junk collector, I still am. So I would, have a, I would have a motor pool parking lot full of steel. A piece of inch and a quarter pipe, one foot long, was worth a dollar and a half in a country where $100 a year was the average salary. So I had a fortune. So what do you do with a fortune? Well, if I had turned it into dollars and filled my pockets... I made a comment earlier that sometimes you can do things for the right reason mm-hmm. and it's accepted. So I would turn I would turn those assets into benefits for the soldiers, carpenters to redo the living quarters, carpenters to build bathrooms, carpenters to rebuild the officers club on the hill, carpenters to make NCO clubs with bathrooms. If we're going to be civilized, let's let's not get up in the snow at three o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom a hundred yards away. <laughs> 
and you're an important NCO and you're an important soldier, but I'm going to make you get them walk through the snow and ice to go to the bathroom. That's right. I don't think so. So uh, the town below had open sewage flowing through down the middle of the streets, and there's a there's a uh, there's a there's a there's a meal that everybody likes in this country called ramen noodles, but the ramen noodles were made in the little town of Pupuani, and and the buses are going by and stirring smoke and the dust and the dust are getting on the noodles <laughs> and the sewer ditch is right next to it. Yeah. So we were able to uh, we were able to close in the sewer systems, and and sewage, by the way, was an extremely a valuable commodity in those days because it was used as fertilizer in the rice fields. You used you used the waste from animals and humans to put it on the rice fields. But anyway, so we installed radio communication systems. Why? Because if we're going to go to war in the next five minutes, I need to say, Miss Kim, would you please send me my soldiers, who are all down there, in the ville. So uh, you impacted the local economy. Oh, significantly. Uh, you and I had a conversation about. Missionaries converted the women to Christianity, and the life in those days that if if you gave birth to a girl, the father wanted you to drown the girl. You gave birth to children in a in a bucket of water, and they wanted you to kill the girl because he doesn't want girls. One, there's the uh, dowry problem, and two is he needs men to work the fields, and so now the Christian converted women would drop off the baby at the doorstep of the missionary. Consequently, now you know all over the world, we, we wound up having missionaries at the hand of a variety of churches. So while we were there, we were able to build, my organization was able to build a two-story concrete orphanage of about 230 kids. You did that with your authority. I had the power to get it yeah. done. Yeah, you're right. And I had the power to get the assets to get it done. That's true. Yeah, so you're a great humanitarian. I mean, this is... <laughs> <laughs> this is something Look, that you chose to I'll do. I'll never forget when I when I was getting to leave the country. Now this is the brag. I got a I got some kind of an award from the country of Korea, and I don't know where the hell it is. Look, along the way that I'm doing all this, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. I'm just doing what needs to be done. You don't think about it in any other way. That may be the case. However, the impact is huge because when you uh, fix the sewage problems and you impact the local economy through. The soldiers and how much they spend, and you build houses for orphanage. I mean, that's a tremendous thing. America is probably one of the only countries that would actually do things like that we while they're over there. Most countries don't do this that. This country is the most spectacular place on the planet. Yes. It, we're throwing it away on a daily basis. We have the biggest heart. Yes. We're the most generous. Yes. I have family in other countries. I've lived in other countries. There's no place on earth like the country that I grew up in. Yes. I don't know about America now where we're headed. And it scares the hell out of me. It runs almost to tears. The America that I know, you couldn't better in any other way. The most generous, the most pleasant people on the planet. Yes. I mean, whenever there's an earthquake, it's the United States that sent food and aid. Or the ship USS Comfort over there to help them out. I mean, when we have earthquakes, other countries don't send yeah. us anything. When I was a kid, know? my churches, every time there was a hurricane, we all pile up and we all go to wherever the disaster is. Yes. And we feed the people, we yes. fix the houses, and yes. you do anything you can to console yes. those that yes. need consoling and a roof over their head. Yes. And we do that with every country in the world. Even yes. the countries we defeat yes. are and better off afterwards. Oh, oh, yes. I mean, except Vietnam. Unfortunately, Vietnam uh, didn't lose to us, so therefore they did not get the benefit no, no. of what we usually do, no. which is China, to rebuild the China country. stormed through. And yeah. But Germany and Japan, we beat them, and guess what? We rebuilt them. But the Vietnam, powers. they didn't get that. By so way, I watched, kind of shame. <laughs> but my, my, one of my favorite pastimes today is to watch videos of the Mekong River and the Mekong Delta, one of the biggest rivers in mm -hmm. Asia. Yeah. And, and there are people living there every day. You can look it up right now on your computer. There are people that are living every single day a life of survival at basic levels. And uh, they, build, they build these beautiful, phenomenal boats. Some of them have long go devils to power them. Mm -hmm. Some of them have paddles on them, and they paddle with their feet. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody wears a coolie hat. And every, every boat has a bob aid. In our world, it's a sailboat or a motorboat with a gal in a bikini. 
And in their world, it's the gal that's the mama's son of the boat. She's the wife and the mother, and she's the cook and the deckhand and does everything. Uh, it's a phenomenal thing to watch. Yes. If you think our life is bad, look it up. Yeah. Mekong River. And they're probably happier than oh, with America. They yeah. have less, but they're happier. But anyway, getting back, you know, um, one day I was coming, flying back and forth the Pacific from Korea to the United States when I was coming back uh, after living expat life for a while. And one flight back from Korea, um, there were two children, babies, that were being flown to America to be adopted. And I knew what was going on because, you know, there were these two couples and these little babies. And you know, it's a long flight. You know, it's about a good 15-hour uh, flight. Now. And they're about this big. And, mm. you know, they started crying after seven, eight hours. You know, that humming noise and oh. you can't go to sleep and all no that food, stuff. No food, no mama, no one Yes, body. yes. And eventually, I, you know, when I went to the restroom at one point, because they were sitting in the back, and I stopped by and I talked to one of the uh, chaperones that were carrying the baby, you know. And, I, you know, so I just confirmed what they were going to do. And I asked them where they're going. And uh, I was, we were landing in JFK, but one of the uh, babies was going to Boston, and the other one was coming to New Orleans. Oh. And at that point, you know, uh, there was no relationship with my life in New Orleans, you know. And I was thinking at that time, wow. And that was 2005. So that child now is pushing 20-something. Yeah, wow. And I think about those two children and wonder how their life has been because... And, you, and the sad part is, that, is the circumstances of the parents' life that prompted this yes. action. Yes. However, those two ch uh, babies won their lottery, lottery in life because once they make that long Pacific journey, yeah. the whole world yeah. is a possibility for them. And I yeah. often think about them and think, I hope... They're successful, yeah. and they will eventually go back and try to find their parents. Yeah. Those two are the lucky ones, you know. And at the time, I was thinking, what other country adopts so many children than America? No, you know now that now the not what I read anyway. Yeah, most now, most countries, particularly European countries, they, 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 yeah, especially Eastern Europe, they don't want any more kids. Yeah. They, they don't they don't have their own kids, much yeah. less adopt. Yeah, Romania and all these people. So. Um, During, at the present time, because South Korea has developed so much, it's probably the top five countries in the world in terms oh, no of doubt. GDP and development and everything you, is high tech. It was in the stars when I was there. Yeah. Hard-working, um, unbelievable people. Yeah, so they don't, you know, I call it export babies anymore. And it's a, it's a national shame when a country exports their babies, you know. But then China started doing that. The communist China, they started exporting their babies, especially Because they don't daughters. want them. They yeah, have one baby yeah. rule. So... I imagine in the next five, ten years, we're going to have all these uh, young Chinese-American, you know, children who live with American parents, but their ethnicity is Chinese. Again, it goes back to how generous American Will they is. be Chinese or will they be Americans? You know, that's, that's the question. Well, I think they're culturally American. Yeah, but that's um, the, the ethnics. You know, there's a certain I'm sure, struggle. I mean, these children go all over the country. We're not talking about just Philadelphia, New York City, or L.A., where there's diversity in, in society, but a lot of these small, you know, towns all across America, Nebraska, and, and, you know, all these places. And, you know, they have to struggle and they have to make their life. But, again... I can tell you, in, in most cases, these mm -hmm. Asians, mm -hmm. if you spend any time in Canada, mm -hmm. you know that Canada has got a high, high, high... Chinese population, Japanese population. Especially in Vancouver. Yep. Yeah. And, and by and large, as a culture, their presence is a gift to the community. You would think that? I think that. I would hope that a lot of people, other people think that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we'll I, 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 I mean, look, we hope that it's not going to be the occasional movie that you see where you have the thugs and the gangs and all that. I think by and large, it, Years ago, I read an article. Uh, a think tank in uh, in Europe, two major universities wanted to wanted to um, catalog, classify, like I can't think of the right word, quantify the advancement of mankind based surely based solely on intellect. So they pull the entire world for the average intelligence, and I'm thankful to read that Americans were among 
in the hundred numbers. Mm -hmm. Most of the Asian countries are high beyond mm -hmm. the hundred numbers. Mm -hmm. And you know that when you have Asians in, in universities and schools, typically they pick it. But it's not only, I think it's not only superior intellect, I think it's a work of difference. Mm -hmm. But getting back to the uh, America generosity, America, what America does for human, humanity in general, no other country does that. No. Not even Brits. No. Now, they come close, but we don't, we don't, they just don't have the same mentality of uh, dealing with uh, crisis that we tend I, to I think I think for the, for the most part of the existence of America, we realized the blessing of our existence here. We were proud of our existence here. And, and I think the country's losing, you see it, it's demonstrated every day. And, and the stupid part is, my soldiers used to say, why do we have to fight with the Russians? They're just like us. I said, no, it, the individual people are like you, but their leadership is not. And they're communists. And if you disagree with them, you disappear. Yes. Or you die. Yes. So now let's say that, let's say that we let these cultures and their political opinions prevail in America. One day you'll say, whoa, this is not what I got bargained for. And, and it's too late to change. And if you make too much noise, you die. Yeah. So you want to take that chance? That's true too. But also, uh, to me, part of the reason why America in general and the armed forces in particular are so generous is because we are so rich in terms of natural resources and, and what we produce. For example, when, Af when Russians pulled out of Afghanistan because they couldn't deal with it, they, uh, uh, they pulled down all the buildings and they took every lumber with them back to Russia. We don't do that. Whenever we leave some place, we build up the whole thing so we can house our soldiers, but then we leave them for the we locals. Just, we just shouldn't leave our airplanes, tanks, and well, that's different. I didn't say that. I didn't say warfare, but <laughs> I'm talking about you know when, whenever uh, you yeah. know uh, we I leave agree with some you. of those spaces, I we leave them for the housing for the locals, and that's yeah. why we are loved across we, the world. When we leave the quality of life for the locals, yes. And it, and it had, had we not abandoned Afghanistan, Afghanistan would eventually have involved as a a premier Western stock community as, as, as a model for the rest of the Middle East. Yeah. My only thought about uh, thought on that, uh, leaving Afghanistan, they will have to move on, is that we spent so much money building that embassy. I thought with a billions of dollars in uh, establishing that, the state-of-the-art embassy that my impression was that we were going to stay there for a long time. Yeah. But... Oh, the problem is that the rest of the world thinks in terms of hundreds of years. Yeah. Americans think in multi-seconds. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's the corporate mentality. And we will be right back after this important message. And we're back. So anyway, so when you uh, when you go to Korea today, you will not recognize it. You won't even recognize places you've been to because it is so highly developed. I would love to do that. Yeah, yeah. And you tell us a story about you when you took the helicopters and some of the things you did while you were there because you had the authority. Well, again, I was fortunate, and uh, I was a commander of a headquarters battery, so I had some power. So I had access to a helicopter and an airplane and a sedan. And uh, I was too busy to take a three-day climb to these Buddhist temples. <laughs> and so I would get my pilot. And if you ever watched the movie, uh, uh, the, the television program, MASH, uh, it is MASH. Right? Mm -hmm. Yes, MASH. Where the little helicopters are always flying in people. Mm -hmm. That's what we had. We had these little, we had these little bubbles and... There'd be one pilot and you in a helicopter, and and he would help the pilot, whoever it was, would take me to some ledge where I could get out of the helicopter, and within uh, 15 or 20 minutes of a reasonable walk, I could go to these phenomenal temples that would take people all day to go to. And um, when you when you fly over the countryside and you see the people working so hard, it it was. It wasn't only until maybe the latter part of my tour there that I saw some machinery. There was these Chinese killer two-wheel contraption with a big loud motor on it and this little guy running for his life on the back of it. 
maneuvering with the machine. And by the way, when you saw the same activity pull with an ox, the ox was huge. The little Korean fellow was little, and the ox was just slog, slogging along, and the little guy behind the the, the tool is running. <laughs> and uh, we were on a, I was on a survey mission one time, and we stopped in a community uh, to eat with about seven or eight of us. And and meat was not something you saw in in local economies. You might go to the city and you might order, and there were uh, bulgogi and pulgogi, and one would be dog and one would be, I think, beef. And so my boys would always want to order the beef, and so they were wanting more and more food and more and more food. And so he says, can y'all wait a little while? Well, he comes back with more food in about half an hour. The only time you're going to get meat on the table is when the ox is too crippled to move. And then it gets butchered, and then it becomes a luxury for everybody to have, which happened to us in that restaurant. Uh, so that's how tight life was for those people. Look, kimchi, which is kimchi is basically rotted, pickled cabbage. And if you were fortunate, you had some peppers to throw in it, and uh, and you would bury it in its urn until it it, 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 it spoiled, for lack of a better description. It cured. How about that one? Yeah, it's, it's it fermented. And by the way, it has a very distinct taste, and when someone consumes it, you're going to smell them having consumed kimchi for some time, and at some distance. However, that's all they had. You're either going to eat cabbage kimchi or you don't eat. So it's either some rice and some kimchi, and if you're lucky, I remember seeing kids reaching down in, in rice patties that are fertilized by human and animal waste, and anything that's moving gets grabbed and popped in the gullet. And that's what you call existence. And that was back in the early 70s, is that? 70s. Yeah, 70s, yeah. Well, I grew up in the late 50s, so uh, you were probably one of those guys that whenever the, a convoy came out of a military post, they threw candy and chocolate at all the local yep. kids. Yep. And I was one of these kids that stood around and picked them we, up. We had, we had a gift <clears throat> pack for the mayor every time we went through. Yeah. And there was this particular reason for it. It had to do with theory as well. Oh, yeah. So. You can't give too much. Yeah. So in the end, it was uh, generous Americans like you that really impacted the local economy. And that's why the older generation of Koreans still love America and Americans. Regardless of the political movement, mm -hmm. which, which can include Vietnam, mm -hmm. regardless of the political movement, there is the humanity mm -hmm. of the people on the ground. So I've told you that I was born in Holland. My we're going to get there now. Yeah, good. We're gonna, we're gonna, uh, so anyway, we're going to close this section by saying that uh, you impacted Korea during your tour and by utilizing your position in the uh, United States Army as captain and later as major. I had, I, had, and, I, I had the jobs of lieutenant colonels and majors because there were no officers. Yeah, you filled the grade. slot. So I, because I was an officer, I, I had multiple hats. Yeah. So you, will, you you took the slot. Yeah. yeah. So I'm hoping that when you look back on Korea and what you did, that you will feel gratified today. Oh, I do. But, I brag about Hyundai's and Kia's and everything oh, yeah. else. Yeah. That has anything to do with Korea. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm grateful to you because of what you did. You know, uh, Korea still exists today. So now, earlier t uh, during the introduction, I talked about, uh, from my perspective, that it's not so much how or what circumstances your birth may have been, but how you end up dying and what you do in between. Because some of these wealthy family children, born with a silver spoon in their mouth, die a miserable death by themselves. On the other hand, there are individuals who grew up in a very difficult circumstances, in poverty, end up doing very well and have a, a presence and impact society when they ultimately experience their demise. You're one of those stories, and that's the reason why we're doing this story, because we want to inspire people because of what you've done. So let's talk about, I mean, we've talked about all the great things you've done, so let's talk about your beginning. So tell us about your childhood. Well, I'm born in the war, 1944. The Germans have cut all the levees, there's water everywhere. Uh, I have a family of 38, eight survived. Uh, there were some Jews in the family. In, in Dutch, we're talking in, about. In Holland. Yes, in Holland. Holland, okay. The Germans would walk into a house and look at the faces of the people and shoot the machine guns in the floor 
knowing that if there's anybody down there hiding, yeah. they just probably got killed. Did you ever see the movie called The Inglorious Bastards? I've, That's no. the opening scene. Really? That's exactly the scene. My, my mother, I'm going to brag about the Germans in a minute. My mother would take an axe, she would cut through the, the ice and dig up frozen carrots and potatoes, bring them to the house. She would cut down people's fence posts and anything that would burn, and they had a little stove, and they would defrost these vegetables, would turn mushy, and you wrap the, the vegetables in a towel, and you wring the towel, and the juice that comes off of it has nutrients in it, and that's what I lived off of for uh, over a year. Every now and I cried nonstop out of hunger. By the way, that's two other adults in the house, that's all they're living off of. Every now and then there would be a knock, knock, knock on the door. My mother would open the door and there would be cans of condensed milk. And uh, kindness from the other side. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our soldiers are one thing and then the leaders are something else. When you talk about Germany, mm -hmm. we know that very well. Mm -hmm. So what happened after uh, you were born and what was next? Um, I mentioned earlier that my because of the Dutch being engineers and traveling the world, we had relatives in Venezuela, Aruba, Curaçao, which are islands off the northern coast of Venezuela. And so we... I mean, how, how did you go from uh, Holland to Venezuela? My, my grandfather, who was in, uh, in, uh, in Curaçao, somehow got money to my mother. How the hell he managed it in 1947, I don't know. The wars just uh, ended. And so we get on a troop ship. And I don't know the details of that, but anyway, we, we're on a ship with soldiers from all over the world, and, and uh, I have, my mother and I have one bunk, we're on the, we're on the second or third level, and uh, the sides of the walls of the ship are all damp because everything is cold in the cold ocean. Uh, you're fed one meal a day, and there's a communal bathroom because it's not a cruise ship. So anyway, we make it to uh, this island, which is paradise. So you have coconut trees and and you have fresh fruit and you have lots of fish and so you spend days, my mother, crying because of the excess of the quality of food that she hadn't had in years. So from from that, my mother had a brother who was an engineer in uh, in uh, Maracaibo, Caracas, and then from Caracas, which is the capital of mm -hmm. Venezuela, and then he was transferred to Maracaibo. And my mother spoke five languages, and she was working for uh, an airline company. <clears throat> and a man came along one day and said, we've got all these American contractors that are buying insurance from us. So they're subcontractors to Gulf Oil. They're not, de they're not dealing with the United States, the, the local policies or whatever, although they're probably selling American company uh, uh, policies. So anyway, my mother met an American one day. And uh, and they got together, and I remember my mother used to date some of the best-looking uh, guys that had V12 Lincolns and Jeeps and all that. I was old enough to remember all that. And she marries this American guy that plays a guitar, and he plays a steel guitar, which I still like to this day. And he wanted to become a shrimper, and he had a chance to leave Venezuela with some money. And so his grandfather owned a shrimp boat here in Patterson, Louisiana. How old were you then? So I'm now, I've, I've lived in Venezuela under the roof of this man for two or three years. So how old were you? Now about uh, nine and a half or ten. And so Spanish was your first language? Well, no, my first language was, was Dutch. Okay. So I'm now in Venezuela and I, I get sent to school extra to learn Spanish. Okay. Above... Dutch. Okay. And so if a few years go by, we live in a jungle. We live in a jungle community, which phenomenal stories and memories from. And uh, so he has an opportunity to come shrimping here in yeah, Patterson. So he came to the States. With your mother. He, buy, he, buy, he, he, he becomes part of a co-op in the middle of Patterson. In those days, Patterson was a big shrimping town. You had big names that are in this town now prominent citizens, including people like the Feltimans. And uh, so uh, the shrimping industry started dwindling a bit because the government wasn't controlling the quotas. So the country of Colombia was sending information to the shrimpers and saying, come to Colombia, we have huge shrimp, you become rich very quick. 
So he rounded up the money, went through the Panama Canal, went into the country of Colombia, and as soon as he tied up the boat, they seized it. And they seized every boat of everybody that went down there. So remember, when you're dealing with these countries, Venezuela, Colombia, and others, they're run by dictators. They're not, they're not democracies. There's no such thing as right and wrong. It's greed that runs it all. So they were misled. Oh, yeah, the people here were misled. Okay. So the guy out of pride or whatever never came back. He stayed in Colombia while you and your mother were here. Yeah. Okay, now he, what happens? He probably didn't have the wherewithal to come back. Well, so now we're hungry. And so I'm at this point, it was you? My, me, my... When the, when the man left, my mother was pregnant with one, and one was the diapers on the ground. Okay. So you can imagine, no washing machine. Of course. Louisiana humid. And this is what year? Uh, let's see. Let's call it uh, 54, 55, 56, somewhere okay. there. And okay. um, you're washing the pot. Uh, I was the diaper brigade. You're washing okay. the poop out of the diapers, and okay. you're cleaning diapers in the toilet and flushing it a lot. And how old were you at this time? Uh, 11, 12, 13. Okay. And you hang the diaper on the line. Well, it isn't going to dry. It's either been raining for 40 days and 40 nights, or the humidity's high or whatever. So that's where we lived in. So gracious people would find work for me, and I would, I would work. What would you do as a 12, 13 year old? Let's see, I, I cut grass. <clears throat> Some people would take advantage of me and they would have me cut one foot high St. Augustine with a push home more and they'd give me a dollar and a half and take me all day. Um, but a dollar and a half in 1953 was a lot of money, or whatever year it was. Um, I washed cars, I made about $3 a day. I, I worked at a gas station for $5 a day. And I probably would fix 10, 18 wheeler tires for Halliburton. And uh, I'm not complaining about the, the, the what I got for compensation because that was a sign of the times. There was a big Cypress lumber industry that was made this area famous. And there was a bridge in Patterson and a tugboat would go by and they would pull a mile-long raft of Cypress logs. I would jump off the bridge, grab the last log, come to Patterson's Park, Climb out of the park, go to Rabisky's Pharmacy, which is across from Jerry Adams' office, and for 15 cents I could get a candy bar and a Coke. And by the way, I might have worked half a day for that 15 cents. Um, a quarter would buy a six-pack of Coca-Cola. But anyway... Um, so you, you are supporting your family? So look, I'm washing cars at a gas station, I'm cutting grass... I'm doing whatever somebody will hire me to do, and I give that to my mom, and we buy groceries and do whatever. And then what happened? Well, I graduated from high school. I worked all through high school playing football. I foot, the coach threw me off the team one time because I didn't want to show up for practice in the summertime. And I said, I can't. I have a job. I can't. So I got thrown off the team, and my, my peers told the coach, you let Jackson back on the team, or we'll quit. Oh. Not bad, huh? That's beautiful. So my, 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 my boss got wind of it, and he let me get away for an hour in the mornings. He was in the lumber business, and we would unload railroad cars. Mm -hmm. They didn't come in by 18-wheelers. They came mm -hmm. in by train mm -hmm. of lumber. Did your mother ever leave you? No, no. We, my mother was right there with us all along. Okay. But you ended up supporting your family from that point on, more uh, or less. Well, you know, it's a relative mm -hmm. term in later years, but yes. I worked and gave my mother the money. I worked for Halliburton. I worked as a diver offshore. I worked as a roustabout offshore. Mm -hmm. I worked as a roughneck offshore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I worked as, on a, on a, as a deck hand on a boat. Mm -hmm. uh, all the money went to the house, went to the household. Okay, so you supported your family as much as you could. You, you provided your mother with a car, and also you bought some investment trailers so she could have an income. Yeah. We and put then at that point you joined the uh, United States Army. That's, and then that's, that's when I went. said, okay, it's time for me to go do my duty to my country. Yes. And, so after you got out of the army, you came back. Uh, let's see. What did I do? Let's fill that in. And then, uh... So I'm, for a variety of personal reasons, I was scheduled to go all the way through colonel. But for a variety of personal reasons in my family, uh, I, I saw that if I didn't make millions of dollars, I was going to lose a mil marriage and my children. Because in those days, if you got a divorce, the wife got the children, regardless. So someone that I knew enticed me into getting involved in the oil industry. So I dumped the military and formed a, a company with that person. And 
and uh, did not succeed in keeping my marriage or the children. And uh, he eventually became a millionaire at, at, at that process. But along the way, you know, you're divorced and sure, you have to do everything you can do to send child support and more, like most, like most daddies. Which you did. Which I did. You're a man of honor. You supported your children. And more. Hi, my beautiful people. I just wanted to let you know about a book that's helped me save a lot of money. The book is called How to Buy in Today's Digital World, Tips for Those Who Want to Save a Buck. This book provides step-by-step -step tips on how to save money on your online purchases. It also instructs you on making smart financial decisions when buying groceries, booking flights and hotels, plus lots more. I hope you get a chance to get your copy. I think you'll love it, and I know you'll save some money. Available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And we're back. So you got out as an 04. I got out as an 04. I was uh, I was stationed in uh, f I was stationed in White Sands, Mr. Range, New Mexico, mm -hmm. and that's a research and development facility. That's where the first atomic bomb was blown. Mm -hmm. The first atomic bomb mm -hmm. was Trinity Point. Manhattan Project was mm -hmm. out of uh, Washington State or Oregon mm -hmm. or somewhere. But anyway, but the, I've been there. I've been on that site where, oh, yeah. the, where the heat turned sand into glass. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, mm -hmm. I, I, I saw the handwriting on the wall about what was going to be next in my life and chose to jump. Okay. And you got into business, and you were successful because you made your million. Yeah. And we're going to go back to where we are more recent times today. So when you look back on your life, those... Uh, almost eight decades. How do you comprehend the meaning of it all? You know, it had to be good people. I told you about being given this uh, American Spirit Award. Uh -huh. So then I'm guided through this community where I have no father figure, but I have men and the, the pillars in the church the teachers in school, they're part of your family. They care about you. They look out after you. They're important in your life. I was telling my grandfather, grandson that the most important people in your life, they're doing what they do for you. They're, at, they're doing this for you. Your teachers, your parents, your family, they're working to, for your best interest, not their egos, not power, your best interest to make you a self-supporting America. And so when I look back, so then two officers grab me one day and say, we want to make you an officer. Well, their motives may have been different, but they recognize in me the individual. And by the way, in my life as a commander, I have found individuals like that. Sure. And I accelerated their careers. A couple of them became officers. One of them became a dentist and retired as a colonel as a dentist. Mm -hmm. He started as a private. Mm -hmm. You touched their lives too. Yeah. The same look. way they touched your life. You know, if you love people, I say this to be... I lived a charmed life. The church was involved in my life. The ministers were involved in my life. The people that I had that I worked for gave me guidance and encouraged me. I get off in the military and two men recognize me and say, we're going to make you an officer. So now I have, they insisted I go to college. They pay 100% of all the expenses. They wanted to send me to law school, all expenses paid. And I said, no, dumb. But it still it involves recognizing gifts in people and ability in people and encourage him to go on. And I try to do that in this I try to do that today in, in this day and age. I try to do that with young people that listen. Uh, you can be so much, you can be all you want to do. You can be whatever you envision yourself being. If you envision yourself being an interview tele telecaster or whatever, you can do it. If you envision yourself being a pilot and you meet all the physical requirements, you can do it. There are two men that I know that I'm trying to get them to get in the Navy to be Navy pilots now. 
In this little world that you live in, of Morgan City, you have no idea. You're a somewhat big fish in a little bitty pond, <laughs> and you influence children. He's a coach. You have no idea what your personality, your gift, your character can do for so many young men in the military. Not to mention, in fact, you're going to be a pilot. You're going to, you're going to coach them through whatever school they're in, and you're going to help them. And before it's over, you'll be a flight instructor. Of course. Of course. <clears throat> look, look at the impact you'll have. Not to mention, in fact, serving your country. And you've impacted other people. I hope so, positively. As they impacted you, and that's, you come full circle, right? Yeah, I hope so. Is that why you're generous, basically? Well, how about the fact that the world has been generous with me? <clears throat> I made a comment the other day that if I had understood greed, I, I've lost $3 million being dumb. If I understood greed better, I probably would have stayed and hung on to about $10 million to, to live really comfortable. That's what you need in cash. Or you can have $10 million worth of assets, or 2 or $3 million worth of assets, which in my case is 2 or $3 million in assets, and it supports you at a manner equal to about $10 million. So if I had to live all over again, I would probably be more mindful about making more money because the men that I know, like Butch Felteman, the Felteman family, uh, Dragner, uh, gener Dragner generous to the core. And that's the new mayor uh, of Morgan City. City, Lee Dragna. What a character. More people are either jealous of him or don't understand him because he didn't go to finish his school or he's gruff, whatever. It doesn't change the fact that <laughs> that man is doing what he's doing as mayor for the betterment of the citizens of Morgan City in our community. No, no question. No question. No question. No question. I am very optimistic about the future of Morgan City. Oh, me too. Now, the reason I bring up your generosity is because... Uh, maybe because you had so little when you were growing up, but but Little Bird told me that when Christian wanted needed a car, you gave him a Porsche. <laughs> Not quite the truth, but s s close. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I have given families cars. Yes. So, tell a story about how Christian ended it, because he's that that is so meaningful to him. Well, he shared it with me. So tell us what's what's the story there. Um, the Christian family in general... The Gill is, family. Huh? The Gill family. I mean, the Gill family in general <clears throat> is a subject of much conversation in our community. Some, some pleasant, uh, some not so. Um, in my response to the people that are naysayers is, uh, let's just see how it works out at the end. You know, that's, they have their way of wanting to raise their children in the world that they want to live in, in the world they want to create. So let's see if they achieve that at the end compared to the families that have the other goals. Primarily materialism, no Christianity, no quality of life issues, no family is life issues. So I, I may have opinions on, I know the mother and the father. The father can be a very difficult person. The mother's an spectacular person. They have Charming a, lady. <laughs> they, have a, they have a sister who's a nun. Yes. Who is the most pleasant, full of life human being you'll ever want to meet. Sister Agnes. And her heart's got to be that big because all she did in parts of her life is pray all day. Now she's in a position where she can physically do more. And I, I tend to believe that it works for the good of man yes. to count. Yes. Getting back to Christian's car, the Porsche. So, I don't know, somewhere along the way, I, 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 I hate to tell you I don't remember much of it, <laughs> but I had this car that I paid about $13,000 for. And it kept eating my lunch and breaking. And I said, look, if you can fix this car, you can have it. And if you want to sell it, it'll sell for about ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000, and you're getting it for free. And that's about all I remember of it. Well, he was very happy. You know, at his age, he's getting a Porsche. And uh, it was it very... It didn't run. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was very meaningful to him. So he, you touched his heart. He may not have joined the Navy, but in the same way, you touched his heart. But not only that, you also gave away a boat <laughs> to William, his other brother, because he always wanted a boat. So, do you remember that story? Sailing is a romantic activity. Sailing is what made the world what the world is today. The Vikings, even though they were the phenomenal oar operators, they had sails. So I've always been, I said, I, earlier I said that I, I built my own sailboat when I was about 12 or whatever. And... Uh, so one day I got the opportunity to get this boat, and I thought I had to have it. 
and uh, and William always wanted to have a sailboat, and William always wanted to have a sailboat. I said, William, I don't ever use a sailboat. Will you fix it up? You sail it. I'll go sailing with you. Would you please take that sailboat? And that's how the story went, I believe. But you had a one condition. Oh, I had to be able to sail it. Was that the condition? No, the condition was that you're giving them the boat and everything, but if you wanted to borrow it... Oh, yeah, that's it. You, you, yeah, you yeah. would have to do that. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm in that world right now. I own, <laughs> yeah. I own a 26-foot hunter. Yep. It's a spectacular boat, but it's trailable. It has a water ballast, so it makes it heavy in the water. You dump the water slide on a trailer. But I've given it away, and I've said, the stipulation is that when I say I want to come sailing, I'm going to come sailing. Yes. Yes, and um, my understanding is that he keeps up with all the taxes and tax and everything's so, legitimate so that when you... Christian had been, William been very gracious to me. Yes. He knew I was looking for a boat to go red fishing with, and one day he said, you can have it. Yes. So he gave me a boat yes. in, as, a, as an act of, uh, uh, what's the appropriate word? Generosity or, or touche? Recipro reciprocal, yeah. reciprocal yes. Yes. gift. Yes. And by the way, I use the boat and I value the boat and I tell them you can use it anytime you want to. Yes. I miss those days when people were generous with each other and not, not so self-centered. You, you know, know, I have to share this with you. Sure. There are men that I know and there are families that I know and you greatly admire them. And I go, I said, you know, I, I, I greatly admire you. I love you. I say, we can't wait till you're dead and in a coffin for people to say, oh, he was a good man. No, 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 no. When we see people that are good Americans, good fathers, good community players, we need to tell them. Yes. Yes. Tell them now while they're alive. Yes. yes. Don't do it later. Yes. And so I go up to men. I say, look, I, I love you. I love what you do. Yes. You're a great human being. You're a great American. Yes. And that's probably a, a, a frequent activity of mine. Yes. And I am blessed to know so many great men, yes. of which you're one of now. I'm honored. I am honored. Um, you know, you, there's no tomorrow. There's no guarantee tomorrow. So, what you can do today, you need to do it today, right? Yeah. When you look back on your life, Peter, what legacy do you want to leave for your family and your community that owes you so much? You know, that's a tough one. And, uh, uh, I, for, the, for those of you that are watching this, I don't know why I was chosen uh, to do this and... Uh, I feel I feel uh, blessed and, uh, uh, and flattered, no doubt. Um, what makes a great American? Living by the Constitution, living a Christian, wholesome life, being honorable to your wife and your children, being a good boss. I've been a boss all my life. At Sixteen years old, I was running a framing crew like the Christian Gill and all the brothers. Work hard, don't complain. Tell people that, compliment people when they do well. Try to adjust people when they do poorly. I've made so many mistakes, I'm far from perfect. I'm proud to say I don't know that I've made many moral mistakes. Um, I, I, think, I think if you live the life that was dreamed of to be an American way of life is, you live in a community, you choose to raise a family or not, you have a job and make a contribution, you pay taxes which we have to have. You follow the rules and, and laws of that town in our country. You don't pose an issue to the police. You don't have your children pose an issue to the police. We live in peace and harmony. This country is a gift. We can live here in peace and harmony. Why can't we have a society of people that don't need police officers? You know, I tell I people like all the time, mm -hmm. I could live with people like you yep. the rest of my life, yep. and there will never be an ill-spoken word. What's wrong with that? Nothing, absolutely nothing. So if nothing. you don't believe in Christianity, let's just follow the rules and the tenets of Christianity. Or ethics. The ethics of Christianity. Yeah. If you don't want to believe it, just follow the gift of what that the set of standards are. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe in everything this country stands for, then understand it makes mistakes. Mm -hmm. You have the opportunity to vote. You have the opportunity mm -hmm. to talk about it in politics. Mm -hmm. But... Until you find a better place to live on this planet, mm -hmm. you better do everything you can do to support it. Yes, I agree with That's that. That's it. When you were 13 years old, could you have envisioned the life you have led to today? Nah. It, it was my being drafted in the military, given an education, given phenomenal 
responsibilities, traveling the world, being tested about what you were and who you were. So you develop, develop a sense of who you are, you develop a sense of sense of worth and who you are, an identity that you feel comfortable with. And I think, and I, I encourage young people to go into the military often. If you're lost and don't know whatever, but you have no idea, if you don't know who and what you are, go into service. They'll, 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 they'll lead you to know exactly what you are. They'll recognize in you those traits that are valuable, and they'll recognize those traits in you that they don't want to toss you out. Yes. Just for the record, like you, I was two blocks away from enlisting in the Navy. Back in 1977. Wow! So, but, you know. 67 for me. Yeah. So, 10 years ten later. 10 years difference. Yeah, yeah I was uh, two blocks away. I was on my way to enlist. I mean, actually, to sign my final paper because I had already done yeah, the preliminary. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. So, so, so in life. So, what is next for you, Dutch, in your life? What do you want to do next? Well, this is, this is life can't always be a dream. So my wife was a drinker. We fought for the last 10 years about her drinking. I told her if she didn't stop, this day would come. She didn't stop. So uh, she's probably going to die within the next two or three years of liver disease. It's a miracle that she's alive today. And I think my, my sister, who's, a, who's nursed her, monitored all the foods, all the medicines. And, and, and when we went to the doctor after the... The first diagnosis, we went three months later, he was shocked at how well she was doing. So that, And the other, the other hurdle and the other burden is my 15-year-old grand, my grandson, who's part of the materialistic world, who doesn't understand that the teachers, family, and church are the most valuable in his life, not the buddies, not the peer group pressure, not being the coolest kid on the block. Uh, they don't matter. I tell them they're not going to feed you, they're not going to give you any money, they're not going to do anything for you, and maybe belittle you. What you need to do is carve out this world for yourself. Surround yourself by people that are worth being around and who have the same aspirations and dreams and hopes that you do, and you'll achieve them. And who gives a flip about who's the most popular? Who gives a flip? Oh, yeah. Or the richest. I'm not poor, yeah. but but everybody wants to buddy up to the very richest in his private. He goes to private school. He's blessed. To me, your wealth and assets aside, to me, you're a great American. You stand for all the things. I'm so flattered. To me, that's what. All right, so before we end today's podcast, I wish to thank Valen Productions of Peters of Patterson, Louisiana, who made this podcast episode possible. And we thank you, Peter Vandenarwagen of Patterson as well. Properly pronounced. A little for, rock from a dirt path. Yes, for sharing your life with us. And as always on the Fry It Up podcast, may your life journey be filled with peace and health. And this is Augustus Cho, over and out. <laughs>